Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. Whether you are live at Moss or live streaming, my name is Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here. Always, always, always glad to be able to connect with you on a Sunday morning. And we are in the third week of the series called On the Grid, which is the opposite of being off the grid. And it's been a series where we've talked about embracing those things we want to avoid, addressing those things we would rather escape. And our guide for the series has been the ancient figure of Moses, who we, whose story we find in the ancient, when I say ancient, this is 35, 3,700 years ago, 1,500 or 1,700 years before Jesus ever appeared on earth, ancient history book of Exodus. And so if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to locate Exodus chapter six and seven, going to be looking at a couple of verses in both of those chapters. And maybe your Bible looks like this, or maybe your Bible is loaded on your phone and either way is okay. Or maybe you don't have either one of those kind of Bibles and that's okay. The words will be up on the screen, which is really important for us at this church because we, we love it when you have your own eyeball encounter with the Bible. Because not only do we believe that the Bible is a library and not a book, something you may have never heard before, but is true. It's not a book, it's a, a lot of books. But the most important thing we believe about this library is that it's unlike any other library on earth. God breathed his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages. We believe, you may not believe this yet. We just want to be real clear about what we believe. We believe the Bible really is inspired, eternal, and true. And because of those beliefs, when we talk about the Bible, we do something a little bit different in this church. And some of you are beating me to the punch already. We lift it up. And when we talk about the Bible, and if you've never been here before, you've never tuned in before, you're like, that is just really a little bit strange. And you know what we say? We admit it. But we've discovered that this is, though it's a little bit strange, this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. There were a collection of people joyfully surrendered to the authority of the word and ready for its power to be unleashed in our lives. Amen? Amen. And before I say another word, I just want to, got to pray for my message, but prayer is not y'all watch, I pray. Prayer is what we do together. So in light of that, look to the person to your left. Go ahead. And then look at the person on your right. Go ahead. Good. We're just going to pray in silently, silence for, for a moment. Would you pray that those people you saw in your mind's eye, that they would be deeply touched by the message to come? So let's pray. God, thank you that prayer is what we do together. And I add my prayers to all the prayers being lifted in this space and even online. And I ask that you would use my words to accomplish something significant in people's lives. I'm powerless without you. Hallelujah. Because of you, I'm never helpless. Amen. Well, there is this, uh, there's a new trend in sports broadcasting, watching games, sports games on TV. And I'm not really sure how I feel about this new trend in sports broadcasting, but it's this. It is, it is mid-game gambling updates. Like it's halftime of a football game or it's halftime of a, base, uh, a basketball game or it's late innings of a baseball game. I've really noticed this in the baseball playoffs this year, late innings of a baseball game. Do y'all know the Braves are going to the World Series? <laughs> the, the, and, 
late innings of a baseball game and there will be this pop-up during the broadcast, the broadcasters are narrating it, about the gambling odds for the rest of the game. And, and the, the, I guess the idea is that you see, like, like, like let's say at halftime and they give you the gambling odds for who's gonna win the game or what's gonna happen in the second half, you run to your gambling app on your phone and you place a bet on the rest of the game. And, and bizarrely, strangely, they even do this with pro tennis broadcasts. Like what kind of losers watch pro tennis in the first place? <laughs> And then really what kind of losers make bets on pro tennis matches, but that's what they do. They will give you, you know, after the end of a first or a second set, they will give you the odds on who's going to win the rest of the match. And the, the idea is all the smart money is on the people who are already ahead and the long odds, the long odds face the, the team or the baseball team or the tennis player who's losing. So because they've got such long odds, you place just a small bet and you have a chance to win a lot of money. Long odds, high obstacles. I guess I really do know how I feel about this trend of mid-broadcast sports gambling. I think it's kind of sick. Can I hear an amen for, yeah. But, but long odds, high obstacles, they, they face us in areas of life much more significant than just sports, don't they? Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but, but Albert Einstein was not able to speak at the age of three years old. I mean, there's long odds, high obstacles to any kind of success. And, and Winston Churchill, when he was in grade school, his teacher wrote on his report card, this student displays a conspicuous lack of success. Long odds, high obstacles facing that guy. Wilma Rudolph, who went on to run in the Olympics, had polio as a child. Long odds, high obstacles. When I was 18 months old, I was put on an international flight with people I'd never met to fly halfway across the, the world to be raised temporarily by much older sisters whom I barely knew. And some of you are like, yeah, okay. Now it all makes sense. Now, now we know why, why you turned out the way that you did. Long, long odds and high, high obstacles. I'm not really telling you anything that you don't know. Because I know that there's a lot of you in this very place and a lot of you who are tuning in live stream that, that if you, when you consider the obstacles you are currently facing, if you were a betting person, you wouldn't bet for you, you'd bet against you. You, you. you look at the landscape of your life and you see what is in front of you and man, those obstacles seem absolutely insurmountable. The odds seem absolutely astronomical. It's the disease that you were just diagnosed with this week. It's the marriage that you diagnosed yourself a couple of years ago and now it's all coming to the surface. It's the addictive behavior that every time you get it under control for just a little bit, you fall back off that bandwagon. It's that job where they put you on a performance plan and you don't know if you're gonna be able to emerge out of that performance plan with your job intact. It's that adult child who's wayward 
And when you were younger, you thought that raising your children, that you'd be pretty much done when they turned 18 and went off to whatever they went off to. And now, you know, that's when it just begins. It's that wish that you have that your husband would stop drinking or that your wife would get off the prescription meds. Yeah, it's you, it's, it's me, it's, it's the desire. Talk about long odds and high obstacles. It's the desire that, that this land, the United States, the spiritual temperature in this land would turn around. And if not the whole land, can we please at least just have it happen in Steel Creek and in Fort Mill and in Lake Wiley that people would stop living for themselves and they would start living for Jesus. Yes, it's you, it's me, it's all of us. And we look at life and we feel like like when we see how high the obstacles are, we wanna get off the grid. We, we would rather get up, give up and not even try and face that obstacle because deep down we think that if we try to climb it, if we try to overcome those odds, we're gonna fail and fall in the middle of it. So what I prefer to get off the grid than stay on it. Thank you very much. And, and it's you and it's me and it's all of us and it was Moses. Talk about somebody facing some long odds, somebody looking straight in the eye at high, enormous obstacles. Moses, the ancient leader of the Jewish people. And he's been our guide for this series called On the Grid. And, and somebody told me just last night, we had an event at Good Shepherd. It was an outdoor concert with food trucks. It was a lot of fun. And someone comes up to me d during the event and, and, and says, man, I, I thought I knew Moses before this series, but in this series, I have learned so much about that guy that I didn't know. And I'm like, thank you. This is why we do what we do, people. But in this series, we, we've learned that, that Moses was born in hiding that his first response to stress is to hide, that his natural instinct kind of hardwired into his DNA is that if he's facing difficulty, he's going to run and hide. And especially when we get to Exodus six and seven and God tells him the mission that he has for him and the obstacles that he's gonna face, you know Moses wanted to get off the grid and go hide because what is the mission? His, his people, Moses is Jewish, a child of Israel and his people are enslaved in the ancient land of Egypt and they are under the thumb of the wicked Egyptian king, a man we know as Pharaoh. And as part of the slavery, the Jews had to make bricks without straw. And I don't know if you've ever thought of this historically or not, but the bricks that they made without straw went into making some structures, some buildings that you may have heard about, you may have seen, whether it was the pyramids, I think we have a picture. This is the kind of bricks adding to the kind of structures that enslaved Jews helped build. And so what do you think the chances are that Moses, who's kind of a nobody from an enslaved people, what are the chances that he's gonna be able to go to the most powerful man in the world, the Pharaoh, and he's gonna be able to say, yo, P, yo, Pharaoh, would you mind giving up all that unpaid labor that's now at your disposal? I mean, you're not even paying FICA insurance for these people. Would you mind, just out of the goodness of your heart, would you mind giving up that unpaid labor? Well, what are the odds that Pharaoh will say yes? Like zero. And what are the odds that after he says no, 
that Moses will be able to lead the people on a successful escape out of slavery. Less than zero. Oh, and in addition to all of that, in addition to all these obstacles, Moses is facing the odds that he is up against. I don't know if you knew this or not, but he has a speech impediment. He's a public speaker and he's the leader of a nation and he can't talk well. And the people that he leads don't like him very much. So let's count up all the obstacles. His people are enslaved. Their most powerful man in the world is against them. He's not gonna wanna give up their their free labor. He has a speech impediment. He's not well liked. Oh, oh, and in addition to all those obstacles, even if he does get out of slavery, even if he leads them out of Egypt, what's in front of him? A Red Sea. And he knows he can't let get his people out of that slavery unless he goes through that Red Sea or over that Red Sea or around that Red Sea. So talk about obstacles that there is just no way you can overcome. And, and Moses, knowing what is behind him and knowing what is in front of him, Moses has this conversation with God because he decides, you know, before I go talk to Pharaoh, I ought to talk to God. And this conversation that Moses has with God has the most interesting kind of back and forth about God's declaration and God's promises. And it all starts, and, and, and I think when we look at what, how this conversation goes, man, it's gonna tell you and me how, how we can talk to our obstacles. But it all starts in verse 28 of, of Exodus chapter six with two words that change everything. Look at what it says. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt. Now, two words change everything in just that one sentence. In Egypt. And you're like, why? Why does that change everything? Just those two words that this conversation happens in Egypt. Well, that's a great question, but it's only a great question because I've got an answer. The ancient people, this is Jews and the people who surrounded them. They believed that their gods and their goddesses were limited by geography. That your nation's god or your nation's goddess could only operate within the boundaries of your nation. And even the Jews who deep down knew that all the other gods and goddesses were fake, or at least they'd been taught that, even the Jews believed that their god could only operate within the national boundaries of Israel. They didn't think he had any jurisdiction outside of Israel. And and really the way that that they thought about their gods and their goddesses in the ancient world was kind of like the the ways that that we, when I was a, a teenager and just got my driver's license and we lived in this small little suburb in Dallas, Texas. And it was the way that we talked to each other about how to deal with the police if we got pulled over, because, come on, nobody knows, there's nobody smarter than a 16-year-old who just got his driver's license, right? And so we told ourselves that in our little suburb, which was called the Park Cities, that if we ever got pulled over, we shouldn't stop, we should speed up and just get drive over the town line and get out of the, the, the town limits of the park cities and get into Dallas proper. And why did we think we could do that? Because the park city's police, they had no jurisdiction in the city of Dallas. 
This is exactly the kind of information that I needed as a teenager because I was always on the run from the law, people. But, but that is exactly, exactly how they felt about their gods and their goddess. God has jurisdiction in Israel, but not over in Egypt. And so with this subtle little detail, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, Exodus is doing something absolutely brilliant. Exodus is telling us, without even trying to tell us, Exodus is telling us, don't put your limitations on, your un, on our unlimited God. You may think that God has national borders and national boundaries, but they, you can place no limits on his jurisdiction. Two words, change everything. And the conversation continues. Look, look, look at what Moses said in verse 30. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? I don't talk good, Moses says. My own people aren't going to listen to me. My enemy's not going to listen to me. How in the world can this, how in the world can this mission you've given me ever actually happen? And what comes next? Just amazing declarations, amazing promises out of the mouth of God. Look, look how it begins. Skip back up to chapter six, verse two, the very beginning of this conversation. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. And then look down at chapter seven and verse four, where he says this. Chapter seven and uh, chapter six and verse 29, sorry. So chapter six, verse two, I am the Lord. Chapter six, verse 29. And he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, everything I tell you. And then down at chapter seven, verse five, as the conversation is winding up, and the Egyptians will know what? That I am the Lord. Three times, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. The Lord. And I've told some of you this before, but the process of writing in the ancient world was enormously expensive. The materials cost a fortune to write something down, and it was backbreaking labor. They couldn't just word process it. It really was physical, arduous labor to write something down. And so, in a world where there's no all caps, where there's no italics, where there's no bold, any repetition is the Bible's neon light saying, pay attention to this. This means everything. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. So it's clear that Moses, whatever ability Moses has is rooted in God's identity. Look at the other pattern that we see. That's God's declaration. Look at what God says in chapter seven and verse three. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And then in verse four, and he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. I will, I will, I will. I, I am, I am, I am, I will, I will, I will. Again, repetition. The Bible is saying, pay attention to this. This means everything. And so what do we take from this, from all of us, all of us, and we've got that marriage that's frayed. We've got that addiction that will not heal. We've got that depression that settles in so deeply. 
You almost couldn't get out of bed this morning. And for some of you, that depression has even moved into bipolar. And you think of the enormity of these obstacles. And what do we take from the story of this man who refuses to get off the grid, but he stays on the grid? What do we take from this story? Here's what I want you to know. That your biggest obstacle is just God's greatest opportunity. That when you are able to see, I am, I am, I am, I will, I will, I will, you will understand that all of your obstacles, those long odds that you face are really just opportunities for God to demonstrate exactly how great he is. That God seems to delight in choosing the unlikeliest of people. I mean, a leader of a forgotten little nation with a speech impediment to show his unlimited power. I'm gonna get you all out of Egypt, believe it or not. And my great prayer, Good Shepherd, is that you're able to look at your addiction or you're able to look at your broken marriage or you're able to look at that thing going on in your work and you don't know if you're gonna be able to keep your job and you say to that obstacle in your life, thank you, Mr. Obstacle, for giving my God one more opportunity to show just how great he is. Your biggest obstacle, God's greatest opportunity. And the reason I want you to get this, the reason I'm a little keyed up about it today is I am absolutely convinced that you need to attune your eyes and attune your ears so that you will see the ways that God works in those obstacles and through those long odds and presents you with opportunities to demonstrate just how great he is. Your your biggest obstacle, your worst problem is God's greatest opportunity. We, we need this. We live in a cynical time among jaded people and we, we need this. It's why I love this piece that I, I, I came across from a, a little league baseball coach that he put together just a few years ago. L- listen to this. I remember when I was a kid, some 40 years ago, playing on a little league baseball team And one of the things that our coach did was host a picnic for the team at the beginning of the season. And after we ate our hot dogs and burgers, he sat us down for a pep talk. And he asked, how many of you have a dream to play in the major leagues? Almost every hand shot up. Every kid with his hand up believed he could do it. And you could see it in their eyes. And the coach then told us, if that is to happen, the dream begins now. Some 25 years later, I became a little league coach and I brought all the kids together at the beginning of the season to give them a pep talk, the same one my coach had given me. How many of you have a dream one day to play in the major leagues, I asked. Not one hand was raised. Not one kid believed he could do it. You could see it in their eyes. I was speechless. What had happened in the 25 years since I was a kid What had come into their lives to steal their dreams? What had convinced them that they would never become more than what they were? Oh man, I want us to be the kind of people collectively, individually 
who, who learn to open our eyes again, who move away from cynicism and jadedness and, and we're able to see our, oppor- our, our obstacles for the opportunities they can become. I guess really, I want us to be the kind of people who when our gas gauge in our car, when it goes down towards E, that we think E means enough. That's the kind of people that I want us to be, where we have that level of optimism. Your greatest, your biggest obstacle is really just God's greatest opportunity in disguise. Because you know, really, at the heart of all idolatry is putting a limit on God. You, you, you think that you're limited projecting your own human limitations upon God, that's idolatry. You're limited by national borders, so is God. You can't be two places at one time, so neither can God. You, you, you can only really wrap your mind around things you can see, then it's the same with God, so let's make a statue about God. You wanna give up in the face of your great obstacles, then so does God. The, the root of all idolatries is to place our limitations on our unlimited God. And I believe that God has brought you here today or had you tune in today to bust through all of your idol-making limitations that you've placed on your God. Because at this church, we can't lift the name of Jesus high enough. We can't praise the name of Jesus loudly enough. We can't trust the name of Jesus deeply enough. So where is it with you? Where is that obstacle that before you came to church this morning, before you tuned into church this morning, you were ready to give up? Is it that mental illness that continues to plague your biggest obstacles, just God's greatest opportunity? Is it that addiction? Is it that wayward adult child? Is it that family member who's walked away from Jesus and you don't think they'll ever walk back? Is it that job? That job that seems to be hanging on a string. Is it that ministry to which you were called? You know you were called into ministry, but you ran as fast as you could the other way. And maybe that ministry was domestic and maybe it was overseas, but wherever it was, you ran. Wherever it is for you. (laughs) How about we be the kind of church with the kind of people and we look at each and every one of those obstacles and we speak directly to that obstacle and we say, Thank you, Mr. Obstacle. Thank you, Mrs. Obstacle, for showing my God one more opportunity to demonstrate how great he is. Because where does all this go in Exodus? Where, where does the God who says three times in Exodus 6 and 7, I am, I am, I am. How does our Savior pick up on that? In the gospel of John? How about before Abraham was, I am. How about I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the father but through me. 
How about I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will never die. And how about our favorite of them all? I am the good shepherd. Tell that to your biggest obstacle today. Let's pray. So God, I thank you that you turn, you marvelously turn our obstacles into your opportunities to demonstrate your greatness. And I just pray that you would give through this message, you would give people new language to use in addressing the obstacles in their lives. And I pray all of these things in the strong and the saving name of Jesus. Amen.